Good morning, all you beautiful people. It is Monday. This is the Self-Evident Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. You got your boy Mike. You got Easy e He's a man in the controls. We do not have Massey today. It is an empty mic. No funny face. No funny face. Just sadness. I feel like in a way, Space. the emptiness speaks hundreds of words. <laughs> You're almost an art student, buddy. You can get <laughs> meaning out of anything. Right? English major. Oh. Oh. That's how it's going to be, huh? That's that's <laughs> how this is going to go. You're going to take shots at the guy who made a uh, big mistake for five years of his life. As long as you're out of debt, it's okay. I am out of debt. Thank you. Perfect. I, I do not have student loan debt. So I am grateful for that. It wasn't a bigger regret of my life. And, of course, you're going to get the, the odd English degree person who types back it was not a mistake that's so useful i learned more as soon as i got out of college than i ever did in my time in college on the bright side you are very eloquently spoken well thank you i appreciate that your vocabulary is much bigger than mine (laughs) it's well i'm not saying this is why that is but i do a lot of reading and I do enjoy writing. Yeah. Right. See, I don't like doing either of those. Well, there you go. See, I found your problem. Yep. No, and honestly, like that, dude, that's a message to you guys. Read. Read a lot. Um, even if you don't like doing it, read a lot. There's, there's some quotes from some better people than me who say that if you can, if you can write well, you can do anything. You know, and and a lot of times writing well comes from being able to read a lot because you take it in. You take in sentence structure, you take in concise arguments, you take in how to explain yourself well and clearly. And that is is translated into your writing. So the more you write, the more you're able to coherently bring your thoughts to the surface. And I I will tell anybody, including you, Easy, practice writing every day. Even if you're horrible at it, get a journal, practice writing. Yes. I did start journaling, uh, I want to say end of March, early April. Yeah. Um, Certain events in my life just kind of led to that. And I wanted to keep a journal, just speaking to the Lord and just my different prayers, my everything I, I went through throughout that season and the next and even now. And Honestly, it's it's been one of the the best decisions I've made all year because it gives me something I can look back at, not only to see where I was in my faith, but also to to I almost have like a catalog with with like a you know how like I have my text messages with you. I get to see like what we were talking about last week. Right. It's kind of the same thing with the journal. You know, I I get to see where I was just a couple of months ago talking about with the Lord. Yeah. And to that point, I've got some students that are going through the second year of the school of ministry. And one of the assignments is you read through the Bible and each day you're reading, you have to do a journal entry. Right. And dude, they, they, they are coming back to me saying, this is amazing. I'm learning so much. This is great. And we hear that concept of read through the Bible in, in a year, in 12 months, 14 months, whatever you want to do. Right. And they'll say, ah, oh, that's that's so much. I don't want to do that every day. But if you take that time and I think it's so important to couple the journaling with it. Oh, yeah. In order to because what writing does is you have to slow down and you have to think about what you're reading. You have to think about what what do you feel? What are you getting out of this? Right. It doesn't work if you just go. I thought it was great. Words are awesome. Right. right. And my push to them has been, okay, I want you to actually think about what are you reading? It doesn't have to be a lot of journal entry. You don't have to write that full page. As long as you're taking it, you're going, what did I learn from this? What am I gathering? Yeah. You know, that just those two questions alone helps you invest more in the reading. And so there's this give and take that happens. I think journaling is so important for people. Everybody, all of you should be doing it. Everybody should be doing it. And if you're not, we can all go to Barnes and Noble together. Yes. Because they have a very wide variety of journals. 
Actually, I want to come out with a self-evident journal. Dude. Okay, so my journal, it's it's like a leather it's like a leather like not casing, but like yeah. it's got like a leather outside and a almost like a hair tie material inside, very stretchy. Um at least with a few cords. And what it is is you can buy additional inserts and like reloads yeah so every time you use up you can have like two different like books in there at a time every time you use one up you can swap it out and then put a oh, fresh cool. one in the back that's cool so i'm actually i like that idea i filled out like four already i'm on my my fifth and last one so i need to buy more but also I've been contemplating whether or not to reinvest into my fountain pen that I bought ah. many months ago, which made writing very fun. I, oh man, this is probably so boring for people, but I, I have a certain pen that I love to use for writing just because it's smooth. I can get good, you know, just good, consistent. If you have, Anyways. if you have a good writing utensil, it makes all the difference. It really does. And I started using a write, uh, a fountain pen. Because I thought it'd be so much fun. Not because I wanted to be some yeah. calligraphy nerd. <laughs> it is so much fun. Literally because it I is. feel super fancy even just <laughs> writing like I would with like a uh, like writing how I do with like a ballpoint pen. Yeah. Just it looks like I'm super fancy. Exactly. And it feels cool. I'll I'll show you my journal afterwards about how I tend to write because I enjoy that too. But and and I will say to you guys, typing works. Uh, especially if if you don't practice handwriting and so you don't like the whole chi- chicken scratch feel, but I think you're more invested in it when you have to write, mm-hmm. especially because most of us can type faster than we can handwrite. And I think that slower handwriting, you have to mull over the ideas more. There's more of that connection between you and what you're putting onto the paper. Yeah, and I feel like with typing, whenever I read or write, I always kind of want to get away from looking at a screen just because 80% of my day is going to be looking at a screen. I'm the same way. And most of you probably work on computers all day. And if you do, you've got to remove yourself from that screen as much as possible. And so journaling, reading, I'm not a big fan of the Kindles. I'm not a big fan of reading on computer screens. I want the book in my hands. I want to be able to write in the journal. So if you're looking to try and start a new practice, this is what I'm saying to you is this is my suggestion. And easy, you sound like you're kind of in the same boat I am on this. Oh, yeah. But let's get into it. Let's get this started. Not giving a shout out to the Black Eyed Peas, but let's get it started. You know the original lyrics to that, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not. I didn't know if that got black hole or if people still... People still know what the original was for that song. Anyways, FBI. We're going to talk about them a little bit today. Okay, a lot of bit. I thought this story was... Now, this is still coming out. And we at Self-Evident, we tend to try to avoid talking about stories until they fully developed, until all the facts and details come out. I have a hard time giving the FBI the benefit of the doubt with this situation because they haven't exactly proven themselves in the last couple of situations. If we remember eh, Trump, if we remember they were uh, pulling over a Senator and taking his cell phone. They, they raided people who were just in DC and actually allegedly there were areas that people were in that the FBI just decided to call it restricted without notifying anybody. And so therefore now they can come after people because they were in, a restricted area. Now that's alleged. Um, that's information that's come out. This happened on Friday morning. FBI reportedly arrested a Catholic pro-life activist and author named Mark Huck, Hauk, H-O-U-C-K. They raided, they raided his home. Now this guy's got seven kids. Catholic. Wow. He's Catholic, right? And his wife says the kids were all just screaming. It was all just very scary and traumatic. So you think about Catholic pro-life activists, this guy, what he does is he, part of what he does is like pro-family, pro-men type stuff, you know, groups, that kind of thing. And then the other thing he does is he stands out in councils in front of abortion clinics, not a 
trying to destroy abortion clinics, not chasing people off. He's just there to counsel. He's there to say, hey, there's another way, that kind of thing. And he had an incident a couple of years ago where a an abortion activist was harassing him and his 12-year-old son. And reportedly, altercation occurs. He and his son try to get away from the guy. The guy pursues them and continues to harass his 12-year-old son. Finally, Mark ends up pushing the guy and the guy falls. The guy tries to press charges. Judge throws the case out. Case closed. No I'm, charges. I'm so fed up with the people who will actively put themselves into danger just to get a cheap buck. Right. That idea of I'm going to be in your face until you do something and I'm going to try to profit I'll, from it. I'll harass you and harass you and harass you. And as soon as you retaliate, I'm coming after you with the law. Right. You know, it's, it really is a coward's way. And so that, that situation happened. Um, the wife describes this incident as the man kept hurling crude, inappropriate, and disgusting comments at them and their son. And the man wasn't hurt, but he tried to sue. And the violation charge was thrown out in Philadelphia. So the Justice Department, meanwhile, has accused him of having twice assaulted a reproductive health care clinic escort, identified in indictment as BL, in violation of the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act which makes it a federal crime to use force with the intent to injure, intimidate, or interfere with anyone because that person is a provider of reproductive health care. So now we've protected it under federal law. Oh. Oh. So in convic if convicted of these offenses, he faces up to a maximum of 11 years in prison, three years of supervised release, and fines up to $350,000. Now, according to reports... Officers pounded on the door despite him trying to calm them before he came out. He allegedly stated through the door, please, I'm going to open the door, but please, my children are in the home. I've got seven babies in the house. It's reported the officers entered the house with rifles drawn and pointed at the family. After an argument of seeing, about seeing the warrant, it's reported the FBI finally showed his wife the first page of the warrant. Mind you, it's reported they told her repeatedly she doesn't get to see it. They don't get to see it. doesn't matter if there's a warrant or not. So let's put this in context. It's reported two dozen officers, about 15 vehicles. In today's climate, in today's political sphere environment, you have a group of law enforcement officers that have determined that a Catholic pro-life activist with seven kids going about his daily affairs, that he is worthy of two dozen Asians, 15 vehicles, guns drawn, 7.05 in the morning, pounding on the door, intimidating the family. When very easily for this, this crime, very easily it could have been a knock on the door with two agents saying, hey, sir, could you step out? We need to discuss something. At least in the reports, there's no priors of gun violence of, uh, okay, you're, you can claim it's violence because assault, because he, he supposedly shoved somebody at a reproductive health care. Is, is that? At the same time, they're, they're treating him like he's some kind of, like on the road mass right massively or, or known cartel criminal. member i don't i don't right. know that a cartel member would get two I mean, dozen like, fbi agents you at know? the end of the day he pushed a guy because he was getting harassed right yes and with that he's now being charged and threatened with 11 years in prison right where people where now there are cases coming out where murderers aren't even getting like two years right I, and to your point the i don't know if you guys heard about a man ran over a kid 17 18 year old kid something like that ran him over and it's it's being said that allegedly it was because they had a political fight and the kid was republican conservative and now the man was drunk 
but considered him an extremist and so ran him over. The guy's out right now. That's so evil. Free on bail. He's, he's no bail. Right? When you take the single events, you say, uh, there's nothing here. But when you start to put the events together, you've got to step beyond that line of, okay, what's coincidence into, okay, what's pattern? What's a pattern here that's going on? Now, normally, if you took this, this Catholic activist event and you said, hey, this is a singular event, we would give the benefit of the doubt to a law enforcement agency and say, okay, you must have had a reason for doing this. Now, the black community, they'll... <laughs> <laughs> they they will say, nah, you lost you lost benefit of the doubt a long time ago. And to that point, can I can I do a, an aside? Can I do a little aside? Go. Go for it. I'm not saying that racism discrimination doesn't exist in the law for law enforcement category, right? Right. I was reading a book by Malcolm Gladwell, um, talking with strangers, which I gotta get that book back to Rick. Uh talking with strangers. This is a great book. Go ahead and read it. It no matter what side of the line you you're on, um, he'll probably push your buttons a little bit. But one thing he talked about was, I don't think that this getting pulled over for while while being black is necessarily the fact that you're black. Now it may come into some instances, sure, but there's something deeper at play. So there was this process in Kansas City that they came out with. So, based on the results of a study. What was the study? The study was they found that crime didn't happen just in a localized neighborhood. Crime didn't necessarily happen just in a localized block. The vast majority of crimes, a lot of times could be singled down to even a side of a street on a single block. The vast majority of crimes. So what did they do? They said, okay, well, if we increase police presence and we start... Oh, the, the broken windows process that, that Giuliani in New York put into, into play. If we try to take care of these smaller crimes and we take care and we're more vigilant, we'll stop the majority of crimes. The problem is it worked well where it was instituted, but they got the wrong lesson from it. The lesson they got was, well, if we're just more proactive and we pull over people for all these little violations, we'll catch more guns, we'll catch more violent criminals, we'll We'll, we'll catch them through this process of smalls. And nobody stopped the avalanche of it. Yeah. And so now policing, the philosophy across the nation is stop people for everything and you'll catch all of the criminals. When that wasn't the lesson at all, because what the lesson was is the vast majority of crimes happen in a very localized area. And we can see this in the gun control debates. When you look at statistics of gun violence, when you look at statistics of, of violence in general, violent crimes, they do not happen evenly at balance across the nation. They happen in very localized areas. And so the, the, the book uses the case of Sandra Bland, who black woman recently moved to a city in Texas, was leaving the university or something, gets pulled over things escalate between her and the police officer. She ends up getting arrested. She commits suicide after three days sitting in jail. And when you watch the video, you scratch your head going, why is this officer upping his, his energy? And what you notice is it's not necessarily that she was, because you look at this guy's, this guy's previous prior or, or his prior, uh, methodology the guy was pulling over everybody for everything he was one of those that bought into that system of like i just pull over everybody for everything i'll make up violations if i have to and that way i'll catch people i'll catch those who need to be caught and so when everything looks like a nail you use a hammer on everything right yeah. she looked like a nail now why did she look like a nail because she started talking back she she pushed against him so all of a sudden he's his hair goes up on end because she's questioning my authority in her mind, and I don't blame her, great, just another cop harassing me for nothing. In her mind, just another cop harassing me because I'm black. Here we go again. And basically her words, here we go again, right? And so they amp each other up. 
And it ends up a, a very sad situation because he, in being a bad police officer, did not see she was distressed. What she's what he saw was something she's she's covering for something. Right. She became defensive and, and he took that as she's as, doing something wrong. Yeah. Right. She's got something in her trunk. Exactly. As opposed to him thinking, okay, maybe she's stressed out. Maybe she's got been having a really bad day. Maybe she's nervous just because I'm a police officer and I'm coming at her, right? He didn't think that because he wasn't thinking through the process. He wasn't being a good police officer. And the, the book in the greater context thinks about these assumptions we make. Man, isn't that a big um, a, a commentary on life and what's going on today? Automatically, if you're a MAGA supporter, you're an extremist. Automatically, if you support the Constitution, you hate everybody. You're racist, right? We make these assumptions that are, are really bad assumptions that we think are based on, on good evidence, but they're not. And, and he did exactly that. Oh, she's defensive. She's, she's acting uh, sporadic or erratic. Sorry. They're, they're, she must be covering for something. Right. And at the end of the day, there are a few people that will fit that bill. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's just how it is. You know, if you, if you throw a net out, you're always going to catch a few fish. Right. You know, and, and the funny thing is the statistics did not even bear out that they were really catching all, all that more guns. <laughs> they weren't. And, and that of course was the big thing was gun violence, gun control. We need to get more illegal guns off the street. It didn't work. It didn't work. So where do we go from there, right? I think you scrap this Kansas City policing philosophy. You go back to square one. You retry it, right? Stop pulling people over for broken taillights and, and license plate bulbs that are out. And there are so many laws and infractions that if you're going too slow, the cop can pull you over. But if you speed up too fast, the cop can pull you over. If he's too close behind you, you're obstructing him so he can pull you over. If you pull over and he deems it unsafe, he can pull you over. Like you cannot do anything. And that's something that this cop would do right. is, you know, trap people in this process and then, ah, see, criminal. So I have been, I've been pulled over a very, a few amount of times and none of them were ever for any like speeding violations or or anything wrong but i would get pulled over for my taillight being out and also my apparently my plate was expired um for half of this year almost half of this year and i had no clue about either of them yeah the first cop when he pulled me over about the taillight he was very i feel like it's it's important for both sides to be very understanding very vigilant in making sure that a it's, I'm it's not a doing dangerous anything, situation right i'm not doing anything to look suspicious and b he's not doing anything to provoke me to become nervous or or become defensive and mm. aggressive and hostile that way um he let me know that my taillight was out and that I should get it fixed. And then I was also missing a headlight bulb. Right. I was like, okay, I had no clue. This isn't even my car. And he was like, okay, is this your first time getting pulled over? And I said, yeah. And I was just shaking the entire yeah. time. And that it's sad because that nervousness, if you get a cop who's not vigilant, who's not careful, yeah, he could see that as, oh, I, I bet he's doing something. I Which, bet something's going on. Which yeah. leads me to uh, this this second part. Um, the last time I got pulled over was for that plate. I was driving my car, which I forgot to renew the plate, which there's a story behind it, some complications that happened. But he had pulled me over literally as I was turning onto my neighborhood street. He had been tailing me for like three miles I was nervous as all heck. Right. I was going like one under the speed limit, had cruise control on and everything, making full stops. And then he pulls me over <laughs> and he he has a very stern way about his voice when he comes up. He's like, do you understand why I pulled you over today? I'm like, no, sir, um, I don't. He said, because your license plate is expired. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I I it took three miles for him to figure that out, right? It, it was so frustrating because he first off, he was riding my bumper the entire time. Yeah. I didn't know if he was trying to get somewhere else or if he was just really, really set on trying to find something wrong with my driving. And obviously he found something. But the entire time he it felt like he was trying to provoke in some way. He and was trying to like poke around to see yeah. what what was good and what was a little suspicious. Right. And that's that's training. They're they're, they're trained to do that which is a very scary prospect and, and to move back into the whole FBI right. situation. What, what's really concerning is they're being trained to see everything political. And this goes to our next story. There are whistleblowers coming out from the FBI. It's several different cases of whistleblowers, not just one. And many of these guys don't agree with where the Bureau is going. And so there was one who recently came out uh, saying that the Bureau is spying on law-abiding Americans and that many of its domestic counterterrorism cases are tantamount to entrapment. Anybody remember the Whitmer case? It was basically all FBI agents and informants and two guys. And the two guys weren't even all that gung-ho about the plan, but they kind of went along with it because everybody else was like, yeah, we got to do this. They kind of got worked into it. That's entrapment. They're trying to create a story. These guys would not have ever come up with this if those FBI agents and informants weren't there going, hey, we should do this. We should do this. And so Kyle Serafin, who has spent six years in the FBI, was suspended without pay, and he can't seek another job without quitting or asking for permission. And he comes out and he whistleblows. And now, of course, they're squeezing him because he he's complaining about this. And it's stated that he and other whistleblowers have gone through the correct channels. And were, were, um, actions were taken against them, supposedly. So he says, the number of guys who say, I don't agree with what's going on here, but I've got three years to retire. It's heartbreaking. He was talking to Dan Bongino on a podcast. And he's pointing out that the vast majority of these guys maybe don't agree with what's going on, but they're just trying to get in with their head down, get their pension, get out of there. Which is very scary prospect because you get... When you get tyrannical oppression, you have to have a lot of people who end up agreeing with it, whether they're just scared of the ramifications or the consequences or they truly believe in it. I don't think you get a lot of true believers in a tyrannical regime. I think you get a lot of people who are fearful and just keep their head down. Yeah. And these FBI agents, I think a lot of them, they just want to keep their head down. They don't want to push against the big system that can crush them, probably because they've been on the other end of that and seen how badly this system can crush somebody. The government has all the money in the world. And so I think of this, this pro-life activist, in order to fight his cases, this guy's going to need tons of money. The government has unlimited amount of money to fight you. They can drag you through the courts for years and years and years. Your tax dollars at work. Something's got to change with that system, let alone the fact that I do not believe that the FBI is a constitutional organization. No, not at all. I'm not, I'm not attacking FBI agents as people. I'm attacking the organization in a sense of, is it constitutional? I don't believe so. Because what are they doing? They're doing federal law enforcement. What was law enforcement supposed to be given to? The states. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in the original con- to- constitution talking about an interior federal law enforcement agency. But there is, however, something in there. You, my memory's a little foggy about it, but something about a uh, protection against unreasonable searches and seizures. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Go figure. And now reason has become well. Can you come up with an excuse? Right. So, in one instance, Seraphin said he was forced to blow the whistle last year when. Attorney General Merrick Garland, which don't forget, Merrick Garland was up for Supreme Court justice. And Republicans stonewalled that and he lost out on that spot. So then Biden comes into office and appoints him to attorney general. And I can't help but think after all the stuff 
with what happened, which well, I'll get into this. Seraphim pointed out that when he was when Garland was telling lawmakers that the Department of Justice wasn't targeting parents, Seraphim provided a member of Congress with an email that was circulated within the FBI that stated Garland ordered the usage of the Patriot Act against protesting parents with the tag EDU officials. He said, that's when you become part of political hatchet jobs, and I didn't sign up for that. And nobody I know signed up for that either. That's not what people want to get involved in. And so you watched Garland come out against parents who were protesting at school boards. Now all of a sudden they're dangerous. You're noticing this slip into the, the opinions of the alternative political party are verboten. They're not allowed. And that's a dangerous pathway towards tyranny. It, if you want to talk about fascism, what fascism wants is a uniparty. Communism wants it too. But fascism is the word de jour, so let's let's throw that out there. Tyranny wants a uniparty. I only see one side of the political aisle or one side, one party being crushed through the weight and the force of government power. Yeah. As well as the the unholy alliance between social media corporations and the government. When the government can go to a company like Twitter and say, we want you to ban this person, and Twitter does it, I believe you've stepped out of free market, you've stepped out of protections of business and, and, and liberty, and you've stepped into unholy collusion. Right. The entire thing is rigged at that point. Yeah. And you're watching governments getting really close in relationship with social media giants and, and helping navigate this process. Mm -hmm. And then you watch organization like the FBI going after only one side. I have not seen a whole lot of news about the FBI going after Antifa. I think one I, I've seen reports of one. I'm not saying there hasn't been more, but one person who attacked one of the federal buildings during the summer of love. Um, one person. Get charged for attacking federal buildings. Now, if, if you can come up with a whole list of others, go for it. But a lot of these people were getting out without charges. Yeah, especially during the the riots, the riots. Nobody got charged. No, for that. May 29th when a bunch of leftist protesters tried to attack the White House. They burned a guardhouse down. They burned a historic church and tried to tried to burn that down. Haven't seen commissions for that. Haven't seen FBI bulletins for that. Haven't seen the danger of left-wing extremism, domestic terrorism. I'm not I'm not trying to cry foul uh as a victim no the fact is the government has taken a side which it never should have that's a great should, way to put it the government was never meant or made to take sides on any political spectrum and unfortunately it has now because the people in charge quote-unquote have forced the government to be on sides right and seraphin said the Bureau's investigations into domestic violent extremism, white nationalists, right-wing extremists, he said these are pretty much entrapment operations. And he questions the moral morality and the ethics of it. He said, my team was deployed to 20 or 25 different high-profile national terrorism organization or terrorism investigations between 2018 and 2021. And what I saw as the most obvious statement is that there are three things about counterterrorism investigations. So number one, the demand for white supremacy vastly outstrips the supply of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. They're making them up where they can. They're pointing out if you carry a Gadsden flag, Gadsden flag, you are a white supremacist. Number two, the FBI's playbook when it comes to counterterrorism investigations is always and unequivocally morally equivalent to entrapment, even if there's a legal definition that allows them to skirt that. Number, number three, 
He told the Washington Times that the Bureau doesn't have an objective metric on how it prioritizes cases. He said that's an, there's an entirely ridiculous internal process for determining every single national priority, basically up to their own whims. And when we look at this, we understand that if you have people that aren't going by the fundamentals, they're not going by principle, they're not going by, by true framework, they're doing whatever they want. Yeah. And this is a very – I'm going to get into the history of, of the FBI just a little bit. So it started in 1908 by Roosevelt. I don't trust Roosevelt anyways. Authoritarian. He had a Both moose, though. Both of them. Authoritarian, right? Uh, Teddy, Teddy was – he was an authoritarian, unfortunately. I love the guy as, like, his, his character – his his tenacity probably the coolest president that we've had i think the fact the guy got shot and went did a speech i'm pretty sure he (laughs) so he got shot and then proceeded to make fun of the assassin for not killing him. yeah he made fun of him in the speech did a a three-hour speech and only went to the hospital afterwards yep that that i i honor and respect the man for how he lived his life Amen. I do not respect his politics for the right. most part. So there's there's a difference. So this commission, the FBI commission, was to investigate. It was really the Bureau of Investigations at that point. Commissioned to investigate corporate corporations for abuse of their monopoly power. Okay, so they're going after monopoly. They're, they're talking about business monopolies. From there, the power extended to prostitution, interstate car theft, World War I started, President Wilson pressured Congress into passing the acts authorizing the Committee on Public Information and the Espionage Act and the Sedition Act. Now, if you remember, James Ad- or John Adams tried to pursue this process, sedition, espionage, going after people who don't agree with the government is basically what that is. And unfortunately, Adams caused a lot of damage in what he was doing. Jefferson had to try and reverse that damage. Wilson tried to do the same thing. All these acts were designed to issue propaganda to the people about the government's involvement in the war and to punish anyone who spoke out against the war. So there were fines, there was imprisonment as punishments. So after the war, Wilson and the FBI focused on dissenters, suspected communists, radicals, and undesirables. Notice FBI for a very long time has done the political game. They've been going after people who do not carry the narrative of the government. I don't like communists. I don't want communists in my government. I don't think communists have good ideas. I'm very, very apprehensive to start political witch hunts after communists. And I expect the same respect of let's not go after political witch hunts for Nazis. There was a Nazi party in America leading up to World War II. What happened to them? Not much. Now, how much was the government involved with that? I don't know. To get rid of that. But it, it didn't. It, Nazism is not synonymous with American liberty, American fundamentals, American what the founders envisioned. And most patriots in America have no interest in what Nazism espoused. Now, yeah, you get that cohort that's racist or whatever. There are racists in every group, and I would argue that leftists are actually more racist in how they view the world because they don't view people of other races as having any type of strength or power. At least the neo-Nazi sees the Jew or the black as a threat, a.k.a. they've got power. They've got strength. Thank you, brother. I just I want you to know this is why we keep Elijah on the job. I appreciate it. At least you were. (laughs) So, raids happen January 2nd to 3rd, 1920. And you can get all of this information at theselfevidenttruth.com in the blog. Paul Garner wrote a great expose on the FBI. I am using this here because I think it's very important information. Go read the the whole article. Really, please. By the way, guys, we have a lot of awesome blogs too so you guys should definitely check them out because they're topics that we do not cover here on the podcast and if you guys want to get into reading like we were talking about before perfect place to start other than your bible but hey 
they, my guy, my guy. And we will be doing book reviews. We will be doing more book reviews. We did the Brave book review. I've got a couple more books in the works to review. I got a great one that I'm going to, and they don't have to be political. That's the thing is like, it's self-evident. We're political or governmental. I would rather say governmental. We're historical. We're spiritual. Man, but we want the full development of the person yeah. because that's what helps support liberty. Anyways, January 2nd to 3rd, 1920. 4,000 Americans were caught up in raids on a single night with the help of J. Edgar Hoover. Beatings and abuse of suspects in custody was common in those days. There were no Miranda reading readings, right? Many were detained for extended periods without being charged, which, of course, is a violation of the Fourth Amendment, as well as the Fifth, right to a speedy trial. People forget that. First director of the FBI to hold that title was William J. Burns. Under Warren Harding's administration occurred the Teapot Dome scandal. Harding's interior secretary was accepting kickbacks from oil companies for allowing them to tap into the emergency oil reserves. Senator Burton Wheeler discovered this and began investigating. So what happened at the request of Harding's attorney general, FBI Director Burns was requested to stop the Senate investigation. They're foot soldiers in this instance. He sent agents to find dirt on the senator. Failing that, he invented corruption charges against Senator Wheeler. This backfired and Burns was fired. Hoover learned, though. Hoover presided over a vast grow of power from 1924 to 1972. He focused heavily on intelligence gathering, in other words, spying, on everyone. All Americans, from presidents down to street sweepers and housewives, were swept up in his agent's surveillance. He was convinced Martin Luther King Jr. was the most notorious liar in the country. He gathered intelligence on King that would force him to step down. He had illegal wiretaps on King's phones, had him followed everywhere. The FBI file on King is full of hostility, sexual innuendo, and gossip, with plenty of references to King's numerous extramarital affairs. He, Hoover used the FBI to blackmail people. That it, it was his own blackmail source. And what's concerning is the question becomes, has that culture truly been wiped out at the FBI? No. No. Not at all. And unfortunately, we had a director in Comey go to President Trump, say, hey, this is what people are saying about you. These are files on you. Get Trump to start talking about it and then make notes as soon as he got in the car with stuff that maybe he could use as dirt on Trump. Comey, Comey oh man, I'm, I'm not going to get started on Comey. I, if anything, the technology has evolved to where it's not just one person they can spy on. Everybody. They know if you, they know everything about you. Well, did you notice that uh, they wanted to use the Patriot Act, right? It comes out through Serapin. They want to use the Patriot Act to spy on parents. Well, what's the Patriot Act? It created the NSA. It's it's a massive hoovering up, <laughs> pun intended, of data and intelligence on people. Yeah. Your emails, your texts, your videos, your, everything they can get their hands on, they've got. And they can sort through it at whim, right? It's a very concerning prospect. I don't believe that that organization is a constitutional organization. I don't think so either. I don't think it's I don't think it's right at all for the government to have a a wild plus four card that they can play at any time throughout this game and say no, we get to do what we want to do, and what we want to do is make you look bad. Right. So we're we, gonna make we'll your life. You. We're gonna make your life terrible plus all of your loved ones simply because you don't agree with, with the mass majority. Right. And it's tough because I don't want the safety of FBI agents harmed. I don't want them to not have a living, have a career, have a productive life. I want the oppression to stop. Yeah. And I want ethics, morality, and conscience to come into play again not political agenda. And the problem is, I think people, they, they're so deep into it that they miss the forest for the trees. 
And so all they see, like I said before, are nails that need to be hammered down. Yeah. If you decide that the country is full of white supremacists, everybody is a white supremacist. And when you have an organization that has that much power, that much influence through all levels of government, you want to talk about the deep state. That's really what the deep state is, is the intelligence and military community. The, the upper echelons of that mixed with giant corporations, global powers, that's a deep state. I don't necessarily believe that there are guys in dark robes that are gathering around, you know, and, and chanting in order to run the world. <laughs> I think there's a lot of greedy, power hungry, opportunistic people who they get invested in the whole thing. And so then if you're at the top of the tower, anybody who's coming up to the tower looks like they're trying to tear it down. Yeah. Even if they're saying, look, I don't mind you have your tower. Go ahead. Just stop throwing edicts out the window to oppress me. Yeah. <laughs> Leave me alone. Just go ahead. Stay in your tower. Your tower will fall on you. But leave me alone. That's all I ask. It doesn't happen. So, Mike, huh? what is the silver lining, the white pill, the upside to all uh, this? Jesus is coming back, guys. You know what? I was... I'm, I'm praying that the Lord grows me in my faith because I, I was talking to my best friend and I, I hear all these people saying, I'm just getting ready for Jesus to come back. I can't wait for the end times. And I'm like, really? You can't wait for the end times. You can't wait for the Antichrist to come. You can't wait to become the <laughs> uh, the Christianity be, to become the minority of the world. You can't wait to be tortured and beheaded and crucified and global powers and and food control and you know because things get my, real bad before he comes back and and my big response when i hear people say i just can't wait for jesus to come back is like a to me fairly coward of a statement and i'm not trying to insult but that's that's a cowardice statement to make because what you're saying is i can't handle i can't handle anything i just want goodness I can't wait till I, I go up to him, man. Right. Oh, I get it. None of us can wait to see Jesus, but there should be some fear and trembling of. Right. You're 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 about to meet your Maker in the real sense. The second thing is, when we make that statement, whether we mean it or not, in the way that I'm going to say, this is how it is. You don't care about the other people on the earth, then. Yeah. Those who have not met Jesus, because what you're saying is. I want their time to run out. And God himself says he's patient towards those that all would come to know him. Yeah. Right. God desires that all of mankind would come to him. Now he knows that won't happen, but he desires it. Yeah. And we, we, when we step into that realm of, I just want Jesus to come. What you're really saying is I don't care about those other people. Right. Which that's not just, I don't care. That's actually, you could consider that hatred mm -hmm. because you care so little about them that you're offering them up in a sense by your inaction, by, by your, your direction, your priorities, you are offering them up to hell. Yeah. And let's just worry about today. And I know you know this because I know you're on the, on the same boat that I am, but let's just worry about today. The worries of today are enough. Right. He gives us strength and hope for tomorrow. Yeah. Strength for today and lots of hope for tomorrow and promise for blessings and, and, and whatnot for and, the future. And grace abounds new every morning. Right. Every morning you move through a new day with the Lord. It's, it sounds super cliche, but I promise you, if you wake up every morning and just say like a short two minute prayer, 30 seconds, and you just say, God, Thank you for adding this day to me. Yeah. Oh, I started saying that prayer every day and it completely changed my faith walk. Amen. It was that small little, that small little needle that I needed to, to finish, not finish, but to, to, it was that small little push I needed to go into the next season of my life. It was, it was that perspective I needed because if I'm thanking the Lord for every single day, regardless of what happens, I am capitalizing on everything that I'm doing in that day. I'm trying to make the most of it. And I'm trying to do the most of the Lord's work for his kingdom. And I remember 
talking to you guys one time when, when, when I was leading the young adults talking about this concept of, are you praying first thing in the morning? And, and there was one young adult, I won't name him, but it completely revolutionized when I told him, look, get up and thank the Lord. As soon as you wake up, thank the Lord. Even if it's small, tiny stuff, thank him. I woke up this morning grumpy and I'll wake up and it's like, I I don't want to do the day. (laughs) I I don't want to do the day. I were you in my bedroom? (laughs) I, I not happy about things, stress, all of that. And what I do is I immediately go for a walk. A 15 minute walk. I go for a walk and my conscious effort is to pray and thank the Lord and and slow my mind down because immediately my mind i gotta do this and this and this and this i handle this and i wish this didn't happen why do i have to do this slow all that down just thank the lord just spend some time with him go for a walk get yourself moving get outside most of you probably wake up when the sun is up get sunshine sunshine is so important for you oh we, we stand, spend all of our time in the dark cave and then wonder why we're so down and, and pessimistic and unhealthy. We're not spending enough time in the sunshine. Yeah. So you get up. Now, I, I get up before the sun does, so I, I've got to try and get my sun other ways. Get up. You go for a walk. Ask the Lord, Lord, show me who you are today. By the way, Lord, I'm so thankful for this and this and this and this. Lord, you have blessed me here. You've blessed me here. I try to spend some time studying after I get back. You know, I read the Bible, do some journaling, getting my mind moving on the things of God. Yeah. And then go about my day. If you, maybe I'm making a value judgment. I'm making your opinion here, but I, I will say this. I think you are very much harming yourself. If you're the person that gets up five minutes before you have to leave, you, you have just started your day in a rush in stress. You've just started your day. I got to, I got to get out the door because you want that extra half an hour of sleep. Yeah. And that to me comes down to discipline. And sometimes we've got to really look at ourselves and evaluate, okay, how disciplined am I? Did I have to watch that last hour of TV before I went to bed at midnight? Mm -hmm. Or could I have not watched that hour of TV, gone to bed at 11 and been able to get up half hour 45 minutes before right and it doesn't even have to be like i i'm trying to figure out how to word this real well and you don't it until you ah good morning <laughs> and and you don't have to do what i do you don't have to get up at right we don't have to get up like super early no if if you can get up 15 minutes earlier than you typically do and you spend those 15 minutes not looking at your phone first off i used to i i typically do and i said used to i still do from time to time i will look at my phone first thing in the morning i will i'll go on the about the you version bible app and i'll read the verse of the day i'll watch the short little video that they have and then after i do that i'm like okay time to go on instagram yeah and i'll spend like 15 minutes on instagram or like youtube or whatever and i'll spend the first 30 minutes of my day of being conscious doing absolutely nothing so if we can if we can replace that void that void right there which is 15 minutes of like i said even even just like two minutes of prayer yep the other 13 minutes for getting ready you know getting Asserting yourself, asserting your mindset for the day, getting ready, having breakfast and taking your time and just meditating on the Lord's glory. I love listening to soaking music. I love yeah. listening. I've, I do it while I'm working. I have to send you a playlist because yeah. I found a, a lo-fi Christian playlist. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, I, I absolutely love listening to lo-fi music and the fact that now there is Christian lo-fi um, it's a little weird how it works, but it yeah. does. Well, your your routine, your process is important. And and to my shame, you want to know why I was late? Because I got stuck on YouTube Reels, YouTube uh... Shorts. So I had like five minutes before I needed to leave the house. It was like six forty. 
And mind you guys, we're recording this early. I was like, well, I'll scroll through YouTube shorts. This is where we get ourselves into trouble because we don't resist the temptation. Yeah. Earlier in my morning, I got done studying. I looked at my phone. I was like, no, I, there was urging me to grab it. And I almost grabbed it. No, no, no. Cause you know where that leads. You know, that's, that's down a rabbit hole. Oh yeah. You'll spend 45 minutes just staring at it. So I did this to my shame five minutes before I'm supposed to leave. 655. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just now leaving the house while watching YouTube shorts on my phone. And it's not like it's anything seedy, immoral. I, I watch a lot of like um, productivity stuff. You know, I wouldn't right. say motivation necessarily, but like in those motivational videos, there's a lot of times little tips, little tricks, little disciplines to implement. Right. right? And that's what I was watching. That's why I was late. I was late to what I needed to do because of that. Right. And I don't, I don't think we, we have never said social media is ever bad. No, the, I mean, in this case, it's the, it it is very addicting. You, I remember you talking about the guy who invented the infinite scroll. Yes. That is his worst mistake. Yep. He regrets it. He is on camera saying, I agree, dude, the fact that we can just scroll through an infinite amount of, of content of useless garbage. I mean, there, there are some helpful tips and stuff. But I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks back. Um, I'm reading a book by John Bevere, or not John Bevere, Jefferson, uh, Jefferson Bethke, um, about how much we we gorge ourselves on just mm-hmm. kind of like useless information and how people back like a couple hundred years ago or even just like 50 years ago didn't have access to this and analyzing how they lived lives productively versus how we live our lives now. Yep. And not saying you can't be productive with social media, but think about how much think about how much more time you're gonna save if you leave your phone out of the bathroom when you go to the bathroom. Because we're we're creatures of consumption now. Yeah. And and this will be my last thought and then we'll sign off. Uh, we're creatures of consumption. We're not creatures of production anymore. The vast majority of our time is now spent taking in. They, the average amount of work a person works a day is something like two and a half hours, actual productive work, wow. two and a half hours out of, if you're at the office for nine hours. And if you think about it, a lot of the information that we're taking in, especially information that I take in, cause I want to optimize my day. So my, my daily ritual is very much shaped around information that I've learned, like the whole sunshine thing. It is scientific how much effect sunshine has on your body, especially oh, yeah. early in the day, helping you actually sleep better at night if you get a, the right amount of sunshine early in the morning or early on in your day. 300 years ago, they were outside at sunshine. Yeah. Because they had they did not have a cell phone and blackout curtains and lay in bed until... 845 and you have to be at work at nine. Yeah. They, they were out in it, especially if they were farmers, right? They had to be out before the sun rose. Well, you work in a whole hard day, you sleep well. And there, we need all this information now because what they were doing naturally, their food, their food was natural, right? Now we have to learn all this information about how bad our food is and learn what good food is and learn how to grow food because we're so separated from the process of actually living. It's it's become upside down. It really it's is. It's so weird. Yeah. And we're not condemning anyone who no. who who does who does these things and we're I'm calling you to hire. Right. We're hoping <laughs> we can at least shed some light and and give some encouragement. Mm-hmm. And I I that's going to be the last thought. We want to give encouragement. If, if you want to help structuring your daily routine, if you want help on how to improve being more productive, if you, if you want to develop into a better person in order to be able to carry out the kingdom of God, because you can be spirit-filled yet sitting on the couch doing nothing. Yeah. And to me, that grieves the spirit because the spirit wants to go out and do something. The spirit wants to be able to touch other lives. You need to be a healthy, developed vessel in order to be able to carry that out. 
and and we've got to realize that we are harming ourselves if we are placating our brain with a bunch of consumption every single day for hours on end. That gets back to that whole screen time thing that we talked about the other day with with the social media. So I got my screen time for this past week. You know what it was, Mike? Huh? I shocked myself. What? One hour, 59 minutes a day. Good for you. Whoa. Good for I want everybody to clap for easy. Whoa. He, it's going to be like 12 hours this week, though. Yeah, well, <laughs> cut it down. All right. So, guys, be sure to check out theselfevidenttruth.com. Make sure to check out a merch. Get yourself a shirt. Become a torchbearer. Support us. Help us get what we're where we're going and do what we need to do. And we have some cool things on tap for you if you are a torchbearer. It's coming down the pike. We're almost there. And you, as soon as I can talk about it, I'm going to talk about it. But I want to I want to make sure things are in a row before we get this going. Yes. But as a torchbearer, we want to honor you. We want to give back to you. We want to let you know that your, your money is creating value. But if you want to be a torchbearer, come support us. Come help us out. And Easy, thank you so much for being here today. Thank we'll you. have Massey back on thank Friday. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. No problem. You're a great yeah. guest. All right, guys. Have a great day. We will see you Friday. Love you guys. Peace.